Chapter twenty one of the Emancipation of South America by Bartolome Mitre. Translated by William Pilling. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Piotr The Repassage of the Andes, eighteen eighteen to eighteen nineteen. While in the years eighteen eighteen and eighteen nineteen the independence of Chile became firmly established, and in the north of the continent the revolution crossed the Andes and invaded New Granada, the prospects of the United Provinces clouded over. Civil war blazed on the coasts of La Plata, and public opinion in Chile turned against the American policy of San Martin, while a fresh expedition of 20,000 men was assembling at Cadiz, destined for the river plate. In the south of Chile, Chillán and Talcahuano were the strongholds of the royalists. Concepcion was the centre of the reaction, while Valdivia and Chiloe gave them access to the sea. San Martin saw that no expedition to Peru was possible, while this enemy remained in his rear. In September 1818, Zapiola was strongly reinforced, and was instructed to commence operations, but his force was still unequal to the task. In November, Balcarce was sent south with an army of 3,400 men and eight light field pieces. In order to avoid useless bloodshed, San Martin proposed an arrangement to Sanchez for the evacuation of the territory. Sanchez referred him to the Viceroy of Peru. In December, Freire crossed the Nuble with the vanguard and occupied Chian, which was evacuated on his approach. In January, Balcarce arrived with the bulk of the army, but Sanchez had already retreated from Concepcion and Talcahuano, and in spite of an active pursuit by Escalada and Alvarado, crossed the Biobio with small loss, and shut himself up in the fortress of Valdivia. This is spoken of as the last campaign in Chile, but bands of Indians and banditti still for three years infested the southern provinces. José Miguel Carrera, still in Montevideo, fulminating vows of vengeance against Pueyrredon, San Martin, and O'Higgins, there met some French adventurers, whom he succeeded in interesting in his cause. They went on to Buenos Aires, and after many secret consultations in the house of Doña Javiera, three of them left for Chile in November with a troop of bullock cards. Pueyrredon received secret information that another conspiracy was on foot, and sent a party after them to arrest them. One of them, named Young, attempting to resist was shot the other two with some of their accomplices who had remained in buenos aires were tried by court-martial on a charge of conspiracy to assassinate three were acquitted the other two robert and lagresse were shot on the plaza del retiro on the third of april eighteen nineteen protesting their innocence to the last san martin on his return to chile found that the successes of the chilean fleet had greatly relaxed the eagerness of the government for the projected expedition now that they had command of the sea they were safe from invasion and the treasury was so exhausted that the pay of his soldiers was very irregular the people also murmured against the government which relied for support upon argentine bayonets nevertheless he and o'higgins both issued proclamations to the peruvian people announcing an expedition for the purpose of giving liberty to peru Quote, so that they would become a nation with a government established by themselves in accordance with their own customs with their situation and with their inclinations further the chilean envoy irizarri passing through buenos aires on his way to england there signed a treaty of alliance with the argentine government 
quote, to put an end to Spanish domination in Peru by means of a combined expedition, end quote. In June 1818, Bolivar stretched out the right hand of fellowship to the Argentine people by an official letter to the government, and by a proclamation to, quote, the inhabitants of the river plate, end quote, in which he sets forth his favorite policy of a union of all the peoples of South America. Some months later on, O'Higgins wrote to Bolivar, proposing to him an alliance based upon the continental ideas of San Martin. San Martin had written from Mendoza to the government of Chile and to Balcarce, informing them of his plans for the expedition to Peru, giving three months for collecting the necessary supplies. When he reached Santiago, nothing had been done, and the revenues were mortgaged for months to come. He then wrote to the Argentine government, giving a most miserable account of the financial state of Chile, and the consequent inefficiency of the army of the Andes, which he suggested should be withdrawn from Chile, as the projected expedition was for the time impossible. He also wrote to the government of Chile, expressing his fears of the speedy dissolution of the united army, and proposed that a part of it should be employed in desultory attacks on the coasts of Peru, while he himself resigned the command. On receiving no satisfactory reply, he concentrated the army of the Andes at the upper part of the valley of Aconcogua, crossed over himself with a small detachment to Mendoza, and was soon after followed by a division of 1,200 men, by which operation he brought pressure to bear on the Chilean government by leaving them to their own resources, while he recruited his cavalry in their own country, and preserved Cuyo from being drawn into the vortex of anarchy, which at that time desolated the United Provinces. In this internecine strife he took no part whatever, but the presence of a portion of his army in Mendoza strengthened the hands of government and aided greatly in bringing about a truce. The first news which San Martin heard on his arrival in Mendoza was an account of a terrible tragedy which had just occurred in San Luis. This city was the prison of the principal captives of Maipo and Chacabuco. They were well treated by Dupuy, the deputy governor, who had only a picket of militia under his orders, and who trusted more to the white pampa which surrounded them than to prison walls for their security. The officers were not confined in the public prison, but lived in houses and mixed freely with the people. They were so many that they thought they would have no difficulty in overpowering the small garrison. A plan of escape had been for months discussed among them, when, on the 1st of February, 1819, Dupuy, on account of the disturbed state of the country around, issued an order that they were not to leave their houses after sundown. Captain Carretero, of the Burjos Regiment, was the head of the conspirators. On the evening of the 7th, he invited a number of his comrades to breakfast with him the next morning, proposing to spend the day killing vermin in his orchard. At six o'clock next morning, twenty officers met at his house. He led them into the orchard and gave them a light breakfast of bread and cheese, washed down with brandy. Then, drawing a poniard, he told them that in an hour they would all be free or dead, and distributed ten knives among them, telling the rest to arm themselves with sticks. Captain La Madrid was sent with ten men to seize the barracks, Captain Salvador with six to capture the prison and set the prisoners at liberty, while he left off to join Ordoñez, Primo de Rivera, and Morla, 
who, with their orderlies, would make sure of the deputy governor. The first party reached the barracks, disarmed the sentry, and overpowered the guard. In an inner yard were a number of gaucho rebels under arrest, among them being one who afterwards acquired terrible notoriety as a gaucho chieftain, Juan Facundo Quiroga. Quiroga led his fellow prisoners to the assistance of the soldiers, and, armed only with the broken shaft of a lance, fought so fiercely that all the assailants except one were killed, and he was badly wounded. The party sent against the prison, on crossing the great square, were met by the officer in command of the militia, who was galloping about with his sabre drawn, calling the people to arms. Armed men poured out of the houses upon them. Only one escaped, the rest being killed. Meantime Carretero, Morgado, and Morla had gone to Dupuy's house and asked to see him. Being admitted, they set upon him and after a short struggle threw him down, when Ordoñez and Primo de Rivera entered with their orderlies, bringing the sentry with them, after shutting the outer door. But a militia captain and a doctor, who were with Dupuy, had escaped and gave the alarm. A number of the townspeople, headed by a young officer named Pringles, surrounded the house with shouts of, Death to the gods! Dupuy rushed to the door and opened it. The crowd poured in. Ordoñez, Morla, Carretero, and Morgado were killed. Primo de Rivera, finding a loaded carbine in an anteroom, shot himself through the head. Of forty conspirators, twenty-two were killed. The rest were tried by a court-martial, of which Dr. Monteagudo was president. Eight were acquitted, seven were shot. But young Ordoñez, a nephew of the general, was spared, partly on account of his youth, and partly because he was engaged to a young lady of the city, whose relatives interfered on his behalf. He was afterwards set at liberty by San Martin, who also gave Quiroga his freedom as a reward for his bravery, a favor which Quiroga never forgot. Marco del Pont, ex-governor of Chile, was also at that time a prisoner in San Luis, but took no part in the conspiracy and was not molested. The repassage of the Andes by a portion of the army had the effect San Martin expected upon the government of Chile. On his return from San Luis to Mendoza, he found dispatches awaiting him from Guido, from O'Higgins, and from the Lautaro Lodge, informing him that all were convinced that the safety of the country depended upon the dispatch of the expedition to Peru. At the end of March, Major Borgoño arrived as the representative of the lodge, fully authorized to arrange all the details with him. San Martin required an army of from four to six thousand men, and a supply of five hundred thousand dollars, of which he would provide two hundred thousand dollars, furnished by the Argentine government. He also accepted the rank of brigadier-general in the Chilean army, which was again offered to him. By return of post he received the ratification by the lodge of the arrangement made with Borgoño, and an order to proceed at once to Chile to superintend the preparations. It was in these circumstances when he gave himself up entirely to the great work of his life that he separated from his wife for the last time. She returned to Buenos Aires, never to see him again in this world. When he again saw his native land, she was dead, leaving him one only daughter, who went with him into exile. On the 19th of June, 1819, Pueyrredon returned from public life into that obscurity which is the fate of great men when their appointed task is accomplished. End of chapter 21